Welcome to a new episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. I am one of your hosts, John Ballone. Today, my co-host and I, Jeremy and Ozzy, dive into the multifaceted world of Warhammer 40k with a new guest and close friend, Dr. Mike. Take this journey with the geeks and the everyday guys as we learn to navigate the expansive world of Warhammer. Get comfy, grab your dice, and let's roll. How should we introduce you, Michael? To Shadow? Mike. No, that's the, we don't have to go that ridiculous on things. <laughs> I mean, look, if, you know, if you actually saw me in real life, I'm just a fat, pale Irishman, like every other fat, pale Irishman. <laughs> look like I've been dead for three days and buried up. Right? Buried for three days and dug up. Clearly, I need to start drinking. <laughs> I mean, I'm let's just that. round off the stereotypes. <laughs> right. <laughs> I first want to start with what it brought Mike on. What what enticed him to come join? I, I think that was a little that conversation got a little interesting in the chat. I want to I want to see how John was able to f- convince you to join the podcast because I think that's that will be kind of fun to start off. With. I I believe I believe you know honestly I was starting the conversation uh, talking about this was before we we talked about uh, creating you an eight bit avatar. Uh, for your, uh, for your what uh, iPhone profile, mm-hmm. but um, the we started uh, by really asking you about your knowledge of the Warhammer 40k environment, lore, and what uh, model building. I'm sorry, I don't know what the right term is where for. We, where we yeah. look, I'm a defect physicist with a doctorate in computer engineering by. Read Aquinas in Latin, so definitely what I'm here for is my deep knowledge of Warhammer 40k. And what's really sad about that is we're not joking about it. Well, I, I was I was about to say I'd I I absolutely believe you're serious. <laughs> I mean, part of it is just me listening to the last podcast, and you guys are talking about stuff which I would just describe as kind of nerd zeitgeist. And you're talking about it, and you're not mocking it, but you're clearly, like, very confused about it. And I'm like, these are clearly guys who are not nerds in high school, okay? And I mean, we're all Xers on this bus, I assume. And so, like, I've had this thing where I've been talking with some of my younger folks at work at the moment, and one of the very weird moments for me is, like, you know, if you're a 40-something nerd, 40 Something nerd. You grew up with very limited amounts of stuff to work with. You had Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. You had incredibly low budget episodes of Doctor Who. You had three Star Wars movies. Dune. You had Star Trek series. And that was about it. And now you talk to the kids and the kids, you know, the kids have got like just gigantic piles of everything. You're just not sure how to deal with that. Oh, so. Anyway, so that was, that was, and you know, the other thing, of course, is that being a cranky Generation X nerd, I'm listening to everything you're saying, and I'm, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually, I'm actually. <laughs> Somebody that's wrong at a podcast that's listened to fewer people than are on it. <laughs> oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah, that's fantastic. 
Well, so, anyway. well, there we go. I'm, I'm just here for the entertainment. I, I probably have no input whatsoever. <laughs> That's basically why you're here, Ozzy, just to, yeah. to, to keep us on, to, to be our time clock. If, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just enjoy, enjoy the banter. The way this, this did start is we, we were talking within a, a shared chat about uh, the last episode. Uh, mm-hmm. where Jeremy and I were discussing really how keeping track of the Warhammer lore and understanding the different side stories, relationships, mm-hmm. and historical important events is is extremely difficult when, I don't know, you basically farm out your writing staff to people that have really long gray beards, probably started in a BBS or they're writing like, papyrus papers to each other and meeting up in a you know in a ren fest somewhere and well i mean one of the things you got to think about this and this is sort of one of the there were sort of two things that were going through my brain before we started uh talking about this too um the first is there's an idea uh called participatory culture which is formalized by a professor at usc named henry jenkins and the idea of participatory culture is that a lot of culture a lot of sort of cultural things, groupings, or identities um, involve people like contributing to it in various ways. And he's got a set of criteria for them that I can't quote at the moment. But like I started reading about Jenkins because I was talking to somebody about uh, the sort of consensus that, you know, you don't play a Bethesda game raw. You wait for the mod community to kind of do stuff for you, patch it up and things like that. But what actually happens with that is you see that in the case of Bethesda, for example, there have been games that are created originally as like mods for Skyrim or Oblivion, like uh, there's one called the Hidden City or something like that. They use it as a prototyping kit. They build whole other games and they sort of just and generate creativity from there. And yeah, you know, what you're and so that's one thing I wanted to have in my brain. And the second thing is this: so the gap between sort of fans and professionals in the wargaming and just the RPG field in general is very, very thin. Part of it's basically nobody makes any money in it. Um, so there's this book by Shannon Applecline called uh, Designers and Dragons, which is a massive, like 2200 page history of the role-playing game industry. There's a second volume, for, there's a single volume for every decade. And my subtitle for it is Failed Business Models, a History. Where it was about people who really love the hobby, and people who love the hobby should probably not be trying to make money out of the hobby. And that's just true in general. So, um, you know, you guys were talking about this sort of, you know, this idea that, you know, they're, um, uh, you know, the relationship between the fans and the professionals and the fan in and the ascended fan in and sort of these questions of canon and what actually is canon, you know. Like one of the big differences, I think, between sort of games workshop, and you see this as well with Doctor Who, um, actually, is can it? We don't care. We don't, we literally, you know, we're, we're going to, like, there was this thing um, just this weekend. There's a fanboy controversy. You all know what a Dalek is, right? Doctor mm-hmm. Who? Okay. Yes. So in the 1970s the daleks had were they had an origin story one of two separate and contradictory origin stories um you know and there i think there are about five separate contradictory origin stories but the big thing is that there's this dr strange love slash nazi because the daleks are nazis 
um, character called Davros. So Davros, um, which as we know, Moonlights is an economic conference in Switzerland, um, is this like twisted figure in a wheelchair that's basically a scooped out Dalek when you get down to it. And he basically, he comes in, he devours the scenery, spits it out, that wanders off. Anyway, so Davros is very clinically like nuked, blind, wheelchair-bound, operating hand, screaming mechanical voice that sounds like a dollar. This last weekend, they had the Children in Need special, which is sort of a charity thing that they do in the UK. And they had a new Doctor Who episode where they had the actor who played Davros, but now Davros is like completely fine. He's like, he's you know he's the, the actor who plays him is clearly just radiating evil like cheap aftershave but he's walking yeah. around like gargamel. <laughs> actually he pretty much does look like gargamel that's actually <laughs> basically ss gargamel so anyway um and there's a hue and a cry and the explanation from russell t davies who's the um is like you know we we don't want to uh, fall into the stereotype of wheel wheelchair-bound evil figure. And so, okay, so that's the thing. So, you know, it's like, again, Doctor Who continuity gets reset all the time. Nobody really cares that much about it. I mean, they, they talk about yeah. the discontinuity guide for Doctor Who. And, you know, you go on from there. So going back to the Warhammer 40K stuff, I mean, you know, when you take a look at, like, the Warhammer 40K um, canon, so you take a look at the original Warhammer 40K, which is to say Rogue Trader. This is the, so there's been 10 editions of Warhammer 40K over the last 40 years, okay? And so Rogue Trader, which is the first edition, is a satire. Uh, there's a lot of basic material there. And I think I told you guys earlier, it's basically Judge Dredd plus Warhammer plus um, uh, Dune. And, like, the whole idea of the God Emperor of Man is ripped literally from God Emperor of Dune. Navigators come from Dune. Mm. The Adeptus Arches are literally just the Judge Dredd types. And, you know, there's, like, no chaos in the first edition of Warhammer 40K. Chaos only comes along in a supplement they write for Warhammer and Warhammer 40K called Realms of Chaos, which is where the first mention of the Horus Heresy comes in. And that mention of the Horus Heresy is one sentence. Um, it's... You know, it's hundreds of books now but that's a whole different story oh this is the thing you've got yeah. the reason there's so much is because 40 freaking years have passed. exactly uh, you know there's there's lots of these shared worlds like dungeons and dragons had dragon lands for 20 years it's like there's hundreds of dragon lands books but you know you were asking sort of the question of continuity and going back to that like i said everything gets retconned so like realms of chaos originally had stuff like the emperor had his own natural-born children wandering around. Who were called the sensei, if I remember correctly. And um, you know, the emperor was the creation of a thousand psychic shamans who all sacrificed themselves to be reborn as a single figure. And like Rick Priestley, the the guy who wrote the original Rogue Trader, said, "Look, no, the the emperor was completely just a background thing. He he, he was probably dead." Um. You know, there was no mention of all of this other stuff. I mean, you know, it's only by about third edition that we really get the grim, dark crap really going bonkers in 4K. I was sort of like poking around the earlier editions and like there's a scene in uh, third edition where a character's writing something with a pen with spikes on it to hurt herself while she's writing. 
to remind herself of the emperor's pain, things like that. And then I go back and I read like the rogue trader and rogue trader as a comment that people get thrown to the penal legions because they failed to pay their library fines. So, you know, and that escalated, that escalated also quickly. Had things like the ultramarines chief librarian who is a half Eldar named Iliad Nastase and a um, yeah. tennis player. And there's, you All know, right, wait, wait, Obi -Wan I, the yeah. fact that I'm keeping up somewhat I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, I'm, hold on, hold on. I'm hold wondering on. how much of this Jeremy actually knows. Hold on, hold on Most, a second. First, first, let me just say something. Just, just a disclaimer. Ozzy's here, right? about to have the same moment that I had when we first started talking about this about two yeah, months ago. But keep going. No, just, just a disclaimer, right? And, and I, I'm, I'm, didn't grow up a nerd, and I don't say that with any sense of pride. I say that with actually on this podcast a little sense of shame at the moment. But <laughs> so when I listened, when I. Uh, listen to 40k warhammer i was sitting uh -huh. there and i'm like man john and jeremy man you guys know a lot about this world and I, i'm not i'm not listen i'm not into the world right but i was intrigued by it because you know the way they explained it was really intriguing i was like this is this piques my interest but now you're on mic and i realized <laughs> that john and jeremy i i don't think they know shit about this world and i think right awesome not, not, awesome. A, not shit it's very simple. I know everything. But 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 yeah. that's just that's the statement. Like like it, <laughs> it's not all topics, everything, all at once. I know somebody like that. <laughs> I mean, sorry, I, it's uh, I just wanted to put that disclaimer out there. You guys can go ahead, and oh, I'll I'll go back to just listening. It's look, it's perfectly fine. I look, I do nothing else but read, so. They came me to read. Sometimes I read when I'm asked to read. Anyway, but here's reading, the thing: reading is fundamental. Here's the thing that's interesting about this. Um, the first thing is um, there is this very sort of porous barrier between the fans and the players, and eventually, you know, some fans ascend and become players. You're seeing this, um, or you become professionals, I should say. Like you see this in. Um, Star Wars an awful lot where you've got mm -hmm. guys like Dave Maloney who started as, you know, just a Star Wars nerd or actually in the case of Doctor Who, there's a famous thing where Peter Capaldi has his letter uh, that he wrote to the BBC about his Doctor Who fandom. Um, it's kind so of Rian Johnson's you know, sort of like that. Rian Johnson is like that as well. And, you know, for, certainly for, you know, Generation X nerd, it's like, yes, there we go. <laughs> Or we just have to go and create our own ripoff. Like, you know, take a look at Star Wars. Star Wars was George Lucas going, I can't get a Flash Gordon. Uh, but yeah, Slash Gordon. I'm pretty sure it's, it's either Flash Gordon or Mark Rogers. It's one of the two. It's probably Slash. But I can't get my own Flash Gordon, so I'm going to make my own. Um, so. I know but, Flash Gordon. And Buck Rogers. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Uh, I know I get the Church of Scientology. I agree with me. So, um, <laughs> what? So, <laughs> is that a segue? Take the G, go, go, Let's, go, take the change. Just, just, go, just keep going. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, there's a book, there's, there's an uh, album called Space Jazz, which is the soundtrack for Battlefield Earth. And, Here we go. Yeah, it was um, Chick Corea and L. Rod Hubbard. God knows how much L. Rod Hubbard was involved at the time. But, um, there's a particular song on it called The March of Science Fiction, 
And I just remember this extremely flatulent horn music followed by Pat Rogers, Pat Rogers. Anyway. Um, <laughs> right. So going back to this, you know, they, like I said, so there's stuff that they just retconned and revised all the time. Like, you know, originally 40K is literally just, let's take Warhammer, move it into space. So like the orcs in 40K, as we're talking about the orcs, mm -hmm. the orcs are like Tolkien or based on Tolkien orcs. But the big difference is they talk like football hooligans. They're dumb as rocks. And they use their magic psychic powers to make reality bend to their will. That's what Jeremy was saying. Yes. Yeah. Well, if I know. I listened to the podcast earlier today. <laughs> I mean, it's just the big thing was that they're orcs. I mean, they're literally orcs. And I remember, like, there's another, um, there's another uh, spinoff game that um, uh, what, Games Workshop does called Blood Bowl, which is gridiron football done yeah. with warhammer races. And they have, like, an orc team. And I just remember when I was a kid, the orc team captain name was Farag's Ghoul Chewer, which is just a stuck I in my head blood bowl. yeah but in game workshop steals everything from common culture at some point in time they have rambo uh yeah. what's the name of the rambo character in the book sly marbo so that like if it, there's anything in pop culture it's just assimilated at some point in time and yeah, so it, it, it it's quite entertaining oh yeah everything gets filched eventually i mean Part of the part of the justification for the Imperial Guard as a minute as an army is it lets you bring in any other miniature set in the world. I mean, you want World War II if you want a World War One French trench army, Death Corps of Krieg. You want um God. Um you want uh uh yeah, I mean, the you want like British redcoats. Uh, if you want the Romans, they're technically the Ultramarines. So, um, but uh, yeah, they're, you know, they are basically ripping everything off all the time, but everybody does. It, you know, everything, everything gets stolen, remixed, and you end up with something new. I do think what's interesting about that there with 40K is that, like, occasionally I think about design languages for science fiction franchises. So, for example, you can tell a Star Trek starship just from the silhouette yeah okay it's already going to be a variant on a flying saucer you can tell most star wars starships because they've got this sort of quasi art deco look to them um 40k has its own design language which is very driven by you know gothic cathedral yes like you know there's a thing actually like the horus heresy if you take a look like the chaos marine fleets look more like science fiction ships and then you take a look at the modern Imperial fleet and they're literally flying cathedrals. So, um, but, but yeah. So bouncing back to the thing that you were that started this digression, how do we keep this stuff in check? So canon is self-destructive. Um, and the reason it is, is because I think that every like franchise has this tension between the fans who at some level are arch conservatives because what they want is what they got when they were 12. And what they really want to do is be 12 again. Okay. And they get very upset when things move away from that. And it tends to be kind of like you. It gets, eventually you get a, a kind of up yourself with it. Like um, one of the things that I remember from the early, from the late 90s was um, uh, comic books were kind of dying entirely. And comic books would probably be dead now if it wasn't for the Marvel movies, I think. But I remember there was a specific moment that you went into like a Barnes and Noble and they had a manga section 
And you would always see like a bunch of tweens or teenage kids sitting around, especially a lot of girls, which is comic books were terrifying. You, know, you go to your average comic book shop. It was not a woman-friendly location. And they would be reading manga just in the Barnes and Noble aisle. And, you know, they were crushing the conventional pamphlet comics. And so the fans get very upset or very focused on this idea of canon as if this was a real history. And then things deviate from canon that we get upset. And then we get people raising a hue and a cry on it. And so canon management becomes a weird relationship. So like I've seen different ways that it's been done. Warhammer, Doctor Who, <laughs> go away. Um, you take a look at Star Wars. So Star Wars, I have to look up, I think the guy's name was Leland Chi. So Star Wars has had sort of three sort of generations of canon. So for the longest time, Star Wars canon was the movies. And that was it, the three movies. Right. And then there was an enormous burst in Star Wars material in the late 80s, entirely based around the Star Wars role-playing game. That was the only place that anything was being done with Star Wars for years. And there's a whole bunch of things like about the Empire that come out strictly from that. Um, and then they started writing new books. And this is where like Timothy Zahn and the Thrawn trilogy comes out. And so what they ended up doing was they created, there was this guy Leland Chi, who was the guy who managed the canon for Star Wars. That was his job. He was the Star Wars canon dude. And they literally had multiple levels of canon that i'm looking it up in wikipedia at the moment but there was like g canon s canon and do you sorry yeah no go ahead ask have you read all have you read all all of the the warhammer books oh god no okay (laughs) i'd I'd like to follow up that question by by asking what (laughs) what's a canon it's a very scientific, it's a very, no, approximately, it, it, approximately around 400 sci-fi. AD, there was a, there was a moment when people figured out what the Bible was. Okay. And that became canon. So this was the material that was canonized. Yeah, all right. I got you. Okay. And then in nerd continuities, canon is the stuff that is real. So... Their idea in particular, and this is really sort of people almost worshiping the concept of intellectual property, is that canon is the stuff that like people who are paid to produce things, who produce official materials, adhere to. Okay. And really what it is, is an opportunity for people to argue. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, the, the first you know, the place I've that... ever, ever heard it was uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes where that's where I start hearing about canon early outside of the Bible is because people got very upset when anything changed in his particular world. There was a lot of attachment to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. And well, that's what happened. Well, I mean, this is with Conan Doyle. I mean, he Moriarty. Okay. Moriarty is originally introduced in the story where he gets killed off. Okay. Like the Holmes things, you know, it's like the, Characters have this idea like major, major important things might show up in two stories. And like Moriarty shows up. I'm pretty sure it was the Reichenbach Falls story, but you know, Moriarty shows up. Holmes and Moriarty die. That's supposed to be the end of Sherlock Holmes. There's a hue and a cry about that. Exactly. 
And uh, then hope Sherlock Holmes comes back. And this is the thing about serialized fiction. With serialized fiction, you sort of end up with commitments that eventually you want to get rid of. So, like, take the Marvel movies, okay? Iron Man is a distinctly, before the movies, Iron Man is a distinctly second-tier Marvel character. He's originally created because Stan Lee wants to piss off uh, a bunch of people by having Howard Hughes as a defense contractor as a superhero. That's his original idea, okay? And, you know, Marvel rolls, Marvel can roll the dice on Iron Man because, one, they don't have a lot of other options. They've already signed away the X-Men. They've signed away the Fantastic Four. Um, They don't really have, yep, they've signed away Spider-Man. They don't have anything else to work with. Um. They did some 70s films about Captain America that are jaw-droppingly terrible. Um, and so they take... And the other thing is, like, there's sort of cartoon references. And, like, the, the, the cartoonish classic Iron Man is an alcoholic. That's, like, his defining trait. Hi, I'm Tony Stark. I'm an alcoholic. And once I screwed up everything so badly, we have to destroy the universe and restart. Um, so when they did... Kind of like Robert Downey Jr., that was a, if you go back and you take a look at the time, people are making those very explicit, very explicit references. You know, let's let let's Robert Downey Jr. play the guy with the substance abuse problems. And I mean, there's like a famous Iron Man story where he gets totally plastered and is flying around in the suit and crashing into stuff. <laughs> and this is this is like, you know, other things like, OK, so Hank Pym, the original Ant-Man. So, yeah, you know, Hank Pym is best known for beating his wife. That's like the Hank Pym thing in the Marvel comics originally. Really? It happened in one issue. Okay. Like I'm saying, oh yeah, he beat his wife in one issue. That was, that was, yeah. Okay. You know, people write things which are bad ideas and then they're stuck with them forever. Um, Canon. Yes, exactly. Very much so. Yeah. That's Canon for you. Um, and then people are like, oh, we can't change this because it happened in, we want a good story. And, I mean, I would say that that's the thing that's happening with Marvel right now is that Marvel is so caught up in its canon. It's like you have to do a graduate course in Marvelology to follow the next film. Um, it, and and not only that, is their contract with actors yeah. has gotten so egregiously so that they have to sign up for what a 12 year commitment where they won't play another superhero at the same time unless they get a special set contract and they're going to be in a particular role and it's a that's a big contract comes with a lot of money but it's a well big yeah I mean, contract. Currently, they can, currently they can pull that off because here is our dump truck of money for playing this but character. also it, it's not like uh there, there's a lot of competition in the dc realm i, I, I was just going to say the same thing like how many other superhero movies are really coming out right unless they're marvel the new many, batman many, every two and a half years you know more batman so, I mean, they all, um, they all suck. So, but going back, so going back to the Marvel thing. So Marvel had this thing that they did in the, in like the 70s where they talked about the idea that they were creating a single connected universe because you know, people didn't really care that beforehand. And so they had, you know, the Marvel universe. And everything in the Marvel universe was supposed to involve characters who could overlap with each other. They could do crossovers and it would be consistent. Um, DC... Uh, and I don't really know which one introduced which first, but DC did parallel universes and then had things like um, DC had 
uh, multiple versions of Batman. Yeah, Batman in the 30s. Detective, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But then they talked about it in terms of multiverses. And then you've got a whole bunch of people who are like, they want this to be like a single consistent thing. Like you see that with the Star Trek movies where it's like, we need to have continuity with the tele, the original television series. Mm-hmm. And you, you saw oh. like, and actually one that always got me was, um, when the Battlestar Galactica science fiction sci-fi channel series came out, there was a, I don't know if huge is the right word. Cause part of the problem is if you're talking about a bunch of noisy people on uh, the internet, there's no guarantee that there are a lot of noisy people on the internet. Like what central example. Okay. Y'all remember snakes on a plane. Yep. Yep. Okay. Snakes on a plane. I went to in Pittsburgh, there was a theater called the Oaks. It's this great little theater that does like lecture series and stuff like that. And the guy who wrote snakes on a plane had been staffed at the university of Pittsburgh. And that was his script that got turned into snakes on a plane. And he was not a happy man. (laughs) Anyway. The point is that Snakes on a Plane got its plot completely rewritten because a bunch of people on the internet got really excited about Snakes on a Plane and the fact that Samuel Jackson was on it. And the film was still a total disaster in a major flop. And again, look, a bunch of people on the internet are really excited. That doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, you know, it's actually going to be a real thing. It's like these fanboy hue and cries. That's always the question about them. So, um... And so this need for things to be consistent, that there has to be like a continuity between the various Star Trek films. I'm like, nah, we don't need to do that. Cause, and I think a lot of it, which is interesting about that. But I, but, I yeah. but I actually think that's part of what makes it fun and interesting. Like with the Warhammer, they lean in on it. Not only do they just say Canada's no bonkers, but they have and fun. Like, and they lose, it's 20,000 years. Yeah. All history over 20,000 years is just a fucking mess. And so go with it and have fun. And it does allow it to be a little more dynamic. It allows the a more freedom to, like you said, insert your, uh, your, your craziness of your own opinion at any point in time, but, but have fun and go like, Hey, I want to, I want to care about this. I'm going to read in Necrons. I go learn more about them. Uh, they're like, their time zone is the beginning of the universe. Well, 20,000 years ago before the, the oh, fall no, of man. The Necrons are like, the, the Necrons are like a hundred million years ago. Cause remember, you know, you guys were talking That's about the, it's not 40,000 years of canon people. It's a hundred million years back to the war. In- I'm sorry. I didn't mean to piss you off. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but, that, but, but that's what's intriguing. And that's actually why I pay attention to it is because there is so much that is just, mm-hmm. like I said, not canon can, who gives a shit? but complexity and interwined and, and fun and interesting. And I enjoy it. And I, think and I do actually like how they tie characters together. I, that's oh, probably yeah. my favorite thing. And yes, they're inconsistent in sometimes and how they meet and greet. Um, but I really enjoy it. Tell me, uh, real quick, tell me what you know, um, about the dark age of technology. From the Warhammer 40k. No, 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 of course not. The expert here. Okay. Like, well, Jeremy, I'm not the expert. Okay. Well, I didn't know. That's why I was saying. Okay. All right. So first off, the reason the dark age of technology exists is because Warhammer rips off of Dune. So the Doyleist explanation for it is 
Dune has the Butlerian Jihad, and the Butlerian Jihad exists so that Frank Herbert can have people doing hand-to-hand combat uh, and, you know, just better humans, basically. They can have, like, Mentats and Bene Gesserit and all of that because they don't have computer technology to do it. So that's... Dark Age of Technology serves as roughly the same thing. But the difference is this, okay? In sort of... So there's this interesting question in interpret the 40k okay so the adeptus mechanicus the adeptus mechanicus we all sort of go oh there are people who worship toasters um you know they're you know they talk constantly about the machine spirit but really when you get down to it their prayers are just a mechanism for maintaining systems it's also possible the technology in 40k is so absurdly advanced that Every piece of random hardware has enough computational equipment, has enough comp- compute capability in it to run more computing than the entire planet Earth ever could. You know, a screw might have that much power. And the reason that there might be a machine spirit is because you just have all of this random compute power sitting in the middle there. Anyway, so the point of the Dark Age of Technology is that everything in the Dark Age of Technology is just absurdly ludicrously insanely advanced there's a reference in let's well, start it with the warp drive right well okay so not that's one of those things where nobody's really clear what's going on there so let me sort of so first off you have to go you know watch the original warhammer 40k movie which is event horizon which is basically when you get down to it the Wait, blood the, runs the, 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 you're talking about the movie Event Wait, Horizon. I'm joking. I'm joking. Oh, entire... I was going to say, wait a second. You, you really blew my mind for a second there because I know that movie. It's just like this. Okay, so let's 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 briefly talk about how faster than light travel works in different continuities. So in Star Trek, we basically create a small bubble of uh, compressed space that allows us to travel faster than light. Star Wars, we use hypermatter. Warhammer, we punch a hole through hell. <laughs> And that is literally what they do, okay? So, yes, the characters in 40K are basically looking at Event Horizon as the blood runs red on the highway of interstellar travel. This is what happens when you don't use your Geller field, kids. Anyway, so, okay, so the Dark Age of Technology. One, the Dark Age of Technology is, in in the continuity, basically a giant blind spot. We don't know what was going on there. What we know is that humanity was really, really impressive. So, like, there's a mention in one of the books, um, a a tech priest is running an Arc Mechanicus. And an Arc Mechanicus is, even by Warhammer standards, a truly insanely large, like, 60-kilometer-long vessel. Okay? And it has a weapon that when it fires at something and if it misses, it rewinds space-time to hit it. That's awesome. <laughs> Not going to lie. I mean, that's awesome. <laughs> you don't miss. Anyway. Okay, so so the warp drive. Okay, so item number one. Jeremy, have you explained the warp period? He has not. Not, not really, no. Okay. So, Warhammer continuity, there are two parallel universes, sometimes called the warp in reality, sometimes the materium and the immaterium, okay? The warp is the psychic dimension, and it is basically collective unconsciousness, okay? Um, The warp is very sensitive to emotions, and so when, for example, if you're a civilization of ancient uh, Eldar who decide that what you're going to do is you're basically going to Caligula yourself until the universe breaks, the universe does break. Um, 
So the warp is the warp in the modern era is basically hell. And that happened about like, okay, so dark age of technology, age of strife, age of the Imperium. Okay. So I, I think of these as usually about 10,000 years apart. So don't hold me to this. You know, we've established that nothing matters. Um, well, okay. Humanity <laughs> has a gigantic galaxy spanning empire. Um, Eldar are also bouncing around. Eldar accidentally break the universe by basically caligulating things. And um, when they do that, they break warp travel. Um, that leads to the end of the Dark Age of technology, along with an AI rebellion involving some nebulously defined super robots called the Men of Iron. Okay. So basically the Dark Age of Tech and so modern era 40k with you know it's legendary grim darkness of the far future nobody so ever the, takes the it. men of iron are like what like they're, they're, they're that's the ai constructs super yeah there's some kind of super robot ai construct that eventually revolts against humanity the again but larian, yeah. exactly but larian jihad now we're not going to have robots anymore we're not going to have artificial intelligences except for the call inferior and um like and so this is sort of where, like, and part of this is chaos itself, because chaos will screw things up, given the opportunity. So now you've got intelligences. Those intelligences might be connected to the warp. Anything that's too complex is probably going to kill you, because, again, it's 40K. So, you know, end state of chat GPT, basically. Anyway, um, so <laughs> humanity after that, there's a couple of different things, but this leads to, you know, some of the grim dark. Like, have you explained servitors? Nope. You haven't explained servitors. Oh my God. Okay. So artificial intelligence in the 40k universe is called abominable intelligence. You cannot abominable have intelligence. abominable intelligence or beware of the silicon animus. You don't have artificial intelligences. You have machine spirits. Uh, machine they, spirits. They, are they, they, they do not know what this is. They don't know what's coming. Okay, so you need an awful lot of compute power. How do you get it? You take people who you don't like, you lobotomize them, you rip out their personalities, that you makes stuff sense to them me. full of cybernetics, and you make them slaves perpetually. I, I mean, I mean, like that's where we're eventually going to go, right? Well, like being turned into a cyborg is like my greatest fear ever. So, like the the scene in Superman three where the one woman gets turned into a robot. I had nightmares about that for years. Anyway, but um, so like the servitors are the ultimate grim dark in 40k, in my opinion, because you're taking like so they're so grim dark that even Games Workshop is like, don't worry, 99% of servitors were actually vat grown clones and never had a real personality, and then the other one percent of servitors, those were bad people. And then we're like, the definition of bad people in the 40K universe is a bit broad. They're like, okay, yeah, sometimes it's a guy who sassed his, uh, who sassed his ball, got his brain ripped out and replaced with electronics. And now his entire job is to load a gun all day. So like, if you go, you can look up the medical servitors in Dark Tide uh, and videos of them on YouTube. And they say things like, please take me with you. I'm so lonely or... I feel so, my mind drifting away. This is so just just to as a quick aside in the, in in this that episode that we're referring to as well. Yeah. I talked about Jer Jeremy Robinson. Have you read any of his books? 
Uh, you mentioned, I, I have not read those books, but I, I heard them in the podcast. Yeah. One of the books uh, actually is, uh, sorry, one of the books that I'm reading is a similar mm-hmm. concept where they, they load people's uh, basically neural network brain onto a AI chip, which, of course, end result <laughs> is they're working menial jobs like loading a coal stove in the middle of some oh, spaceport. But, yeah, but here's the thing, okay? They make a big deal out of scrubbing the personality. Like there's um one of the Warhammer crime novels involves a servitor factory and just a description of the process. And it is nightmare inducing as they just talk about the switchbacks of people and how they, and then how the guy makes a side comment. I'm pretty sure that no anesthetic was involved or when he's talking to the one adeptus mechanicus guy, who's like, his job is to create high quality servitors whose brains have to be mangled enough to not be sapient anymore, but not so mangled that they can't do other things. Maybe it's, um, it's, it's lobotomy. It's, yeah, it's basically super space lobotomy. Um, and there, there'll be, like, occasionally, like, everybody focuses on servitors as, like, the ultimate grimdark. And, like, one of my favorite things is that if you take a look at, like, a lot of Warhammer art, there's these things called cherubim, Okay. And what cherubim are, are little flying robot servitor babies. So they're like kid, like cloned babies that have had wings attached to them. And they carry stuff or they sing. And in like the current Warhammer lore, one of the Primarchs has come back after 10,000 years. And his reaction to most of the modern Imperium is, what the hell are you people doing? And he's just got this offhand thing about how he really wants to shoot the cherubim because they're just too damn creepy. Um, anyway, so going back to the dark age of technology, so the dark age of technology, sometime before the age of strife, um, and it's just like super duper, everything is awesome technology and keep in mind, you know, this is 40 K. So technology and magic at the far end are very Clark's third or very Clark's law. Right. You know, they basically anything you can imagine somebody did uh, just apart from the fact that they don't really have any real sense of scale. I, I I do have a I want to move on to another topic but I want to hear Ozzy and Jeremy and if there's any questions that they have I, 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 don't I have was impressed I'm no I was impressed at the 40 minute mark when, when Michael you, you referenced a book that Michael hadn't read I was just I, I was like, I was like what, what? Um, no I, I it's safe to say I have no questions I, 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 I'm not gonna lie. I'm not gonna lie. The, the few good questions that I had, I was actually using Anthropic uh, and asking it to give me quality uh, interview questions about Warhammer 40k. Somewhere, somewhere, there's a psychic Superman wandering the world right now. That wraps it up for this episode of the Surprise Multiplayer Podcast. Huge thanks to Dr. Mike for his profound insights into the Warhammer universe. As always, we thank you for listening and hope that you'll join us again soon. Until next time, keep exploring and stay curious.